Welcome to Maiden Speech. I'm your host, Monica Ferguson, self-worth and mindset coach and portrait photographer from New Zealand. And you are in the right place to get uplifted, empowered and inspired. I'm so lucky to have amazing guests come on and share their wisdom about all things related to personal development and being the best version of ourselves. I'm really passionate about reminding people that they are good enough and to have honest and vulnerable conversations where we connect on a real level and have lots of laughs. You can find me on Facebook at, at Monica Ferguson Coaching, where you can join my group for extra inspiration. And I'm also on Instagram at Mon 3.0. Thanks so much for being here and please reach out and connect. I would love to hear from you. Let's get into it. Hey, hey friends, Monica Ferguson here and welcome back to my latest episode of Maiden Speech. This podcast is an incredible story with Rach McMahon. I do not want to give away too much, but this is a story of survival, of miracles, of courage, of determination. It will absolutely inspire you so so much stay tuned listen learn all of these incredible lessons that we speak about in this podcast and I hope you guys enjoy it so much let me know what resonates and be sure to go and follow Rach online afterwards thanks for being here guys good morning Rach McMahon how are you I'm fab how are you I love it. Fab. That's my new. I'm going to borrow that. Look, I'm already taking notes and we've only just started. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Now, this podcast is going to be so different to anything else that I've created before. Um, and I'm so excited too because so much of this I don't know already. Like, so I'm listening. I should have brought popcorn probably to sit and probably tissues. <laughs> But guys, spoiler, there's a happy ending, so it's all good. No one should be worried or anything like that. But um, thank you so much for coming by to share your story today. So excited. Yeah. Okay, so into the deep end, my friend. Now, yes. where do you feel like your story begins? Oh, good Lord. <laughs> uh, well, I suppose it's not really where does the story begin. It's, I, it's, I guess it's more which chapter do you want to know about? I love that. 50, um, 50 turns around the sun coming up, so, you know, there's a lot of stories to tell. Fair enough, fair enough. Okay, so I think what we, what we talked about on our coffee date this week, this is where I'd love for you to share about. So sure. if we, sure, let's start there. Okay. <laughs> let's start <Okay>. there. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, so I guess really uh, uh, the biggest turning point for me would have been, uh, so 2013, I was in not a very good headspace and I, uh, well, how do you really start? So I guess if I go back even just a little bit prior to that, 2012, I was 42, I think I was at the time. Yeah, 42. And my kids were just starting to get a little independent, you know, like I wasn't having, I wasn't having to do the after school pickup. I was still doing the morning run to school, but not so much the afternoon stuff. And they were starting to be able to get themselves to and from places. And it was like 42, I'm doing everything that everybody else has wanted or expected of me to do for such a long time. Like, all my dreams and aspirations and goals of what I wanted to do when I was a young girl had dramatically changed, mm. obviously. Um, 
as you as you grow and you evolve and you develop into your own person but growing and evolving and developing into your own person doesn't put you in the place that you think 20 years ago you were going to be if yeah. that makes sense yeah totally <laughs> and so i was starting to like go through a little bit of an identity crisis i suppose maybe i wouldn't go quite so far as a midlife crisis but more of an identity crisis i was somebody's wife i was somebody's mother i was somebody's employee i was somebody's wine rep i was somebody's something you know but who was i to me and so one of the things that i had always wanted to do was learn to ride a motorcycle <laughs> And so here was my moment. I decided I was going to learn to ride a motorcycle. Um, and so I, you know, I did some, I did some research, I did some homework, and, and I had been in an environment where I was, I had always been surrounded by motorcycles. My father rides, my brothers rode, I married into a motorcycle family. Um, you know, I was entrenched with motorcycles. My my ex-husband at that time, who is, still remains my ex-husband, I would just like to verify. <laughs> <laughs> would not let me learn to ride a motorcycle he's like you'll kill yourself i'm not going to be responsible and so but i think it was more the fact that it was his thing it was his hobby yeah and he didn't want me to gate crash that or to be a part of that i don't know that was that was my perception at the time and so it never sort of came to anything so I'll, you know i'll cut fast forward to 42 wanting to learn to ride a motorcycle I went through the processes of how you go about learning to ride a bike. What are the steps? Where do you have to go? Where do you start? And what bike would be best to learn to ride on? All of those things. So did all of that. Got my um, basic skills and handling course and um, was really wrapped at the fact that I could just get on a bike and hold it up by myself, let alone do anything else. That was like a really good start, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I passed my basic skills and handling course. And then from that, that point, you then, have, you then are able to go and sit your learner's theory test. So I passed that. And then I was like, right, I've done that. I'm going to go and buy my bike. So I bought my bike. Um, I bought a little GN250. Um, and I started riding around the block of where I lived. And it was really quite funny, actually, because my son, I think at the time, my middle boy was, I think, maybe 11 and he would follow me on his push bike around the street. <laughs> so we'd ride around the street or we'd go down to the school, um, school local school grounds and we'd ride around the grounds. And I soon learned that I needed a little bit more than a basketball court to turn around. I needed like the whole street to be able to turn around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had to venture out further and further and further. Um, and so any moment that I could get out on my bike, I would take it. And... Of course, you know, being divorced as well, that also meant that my children were at their father's every second weekend. So I had every second weekend that I could just go a little further and a little further and a little further. So, I, you know, it wasn't too long before I was venturing over the Pycock Hill and over the um, Haywards Hill over to the coast and up Kippity Coast and back around and the back of Upper Hutt and, you know, venturing a little further and a little further and a little further. Um, and, you know... The motorcycle community is a very, once you sort of start to meet a few people, it changes your whole world. It wasn't quite at best. I was still riding by myself and didn't really know anybody. Um, and so I thought, I'm going to start venturing even a little more further, a little more further. And, and my biggest challenge was that I wanted to be able to ride the Rimataka Hill. Yeah. 
Now, anybody that rides a, uh, the anybody that rides a motorcycle knows that the River Tucker Hill is, I suppose, the Mount Everest of of motorcycle riding. Um, <laughs> it's very dark. it's very scary if you don't know what you're doing, and it can be also very scary um, when you're learning. You know, people I I drive that road like I know it like the back of my hand, so I drive it like I'm racing. Yeah. But when I'm on my bike, it's a whole different you know it's a whole different kettle of fish. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I'd been riding for about six months or so, and I was getting, you know, I thought I was getting a bit all right, but it soon turned out that clearly I was not all right. And I had a, I had a terrible accident in 2013 and completely turned my world upside down. So I, I could tell you exactly how the day went like it was yesterday. I can, it's so clear in my mind, um, waking up that morning and humming and harring whether I should go or not, um, oh, you know, is, 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 it, is it going to be a good day? Yeah, it's going to be a good day. Should I go? Should I go? No. Oh, by the time I get up and get my gear on, I'll have been and gone and the day will be, you yeah, know, let's just go. Let's just go. So I, I got I got up and got my gear on, got my bike ready and everything. And I don't know if you're a believer in the universe, but the universe always kick butts you in the ass right with mm -hmm. with a heap of signs and I did get a heap of signs that day and looking back hindsight's always a wonderful thing but I didn't really think of them at the time my bike would not start it just would wow. not start and so anyway I was like stubborn meal me being my typical stubborn meal was like you're not getting the better of me we're going whether you like it or not kind of thing you know so got my bike out got it going turning on off over to over to towards the Rimataka hill had an epic ride over the hill, rode out to Lake Ferry for the day and was supposed to catch up with a girlfriend for a coffee and then I thought, oh no, I don't really have time, I really should be getting back, I'll, I'll do that another time. And I always think that these little conversations that you have with yourself is the universe's way of saying, just stop for a minute, just, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. but I just had so many other things going on in my head at the time that I ignored all of those little in the back of my mind, yeah. you know. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, it, it was a it was a beautiful day. And I was, you know, like I was being really, really mindful of my skill set, mindful of where I was looking, mindful of my concentration and my focus. I was looking for cattle stops. I was looking at the pedestrian, uh, the, sorry, the power lines, because the power lines will tell you where the road's going to go looking forward. So I was looking at all of these things. I was looking up. I wasn't looking down. I was, you know, I was like, I was really, really happy with how I was riding. And so anyway, I, yeah, I went out to Lake Ferry and I stopped there for a minute, turned around, came and headed back out. And I came into Featherston and I sort of looked to the right and there was a car coming. I was like, oh, there's plenty of time. And there was plenty of time. And because I was, you know, when you're learning to do something new, you sort of wait until the coast is like 100% clear. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I actually need to start like riding with like the flow of traffic. And so there was plenty of room for this car. And I, you know, I was like, off I go. And I am heading south back to Wellington over the Rimataka Hill. And I'm coming to the, toward the Twin Bridges on the northern side of the Rimataka Hill, heading south. And I know that there's a 65k bend coming and I know that I need to slow down for that corner. That's the last thing I remember. Yeah. So I remember the corner. I remember looking at my speedo. I was doing 65. I chopped down a gear and that, I know I chopped down a gear. And that's all I remember. 
there's nothing. There's absolutely just complete blankness. And then waking up in the hospital and um, not really being aware of where I was, but kind of aware. Hmm. Um, and so ultimately I, I found myself in ICU and I'm not sure how long I had been in ICU when I sort of started to become aware. But I remember very, very vividly my brother's voice and I remember very vividly the doctor saying to him you will need to get her to think about the fact that she's going to lose her leg wow and I sat bolt upright and I was like you're not taking my leg you can do whatever you want to me but you're not taking my leg and then back down I went um, and I don't know how long it was between that moment and me arriving in, into hospital or that moment until my next conscious moment. But I remember, um, I remember feeling very warm and very safe and remember hearing um, familiar voices. And I remember um, people holding my hands and um, just feeling okay. Like I wasn't sure really what I was facing at that particular point in time, but just remember feeling okay. And then the next probably impactful moment was my girlfriend came in and she was sitting beside me and I said to her, I looked at her and I said, Claire, they're going to take my leg. And she was like, no, they're not, babe. No, they're not. They're worried about your arm. Your arm is the one that they're really, that they're concerned about. Your leg's fine. I was like, no, they're talking about everything in my leg. She's like, no, 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 no. Unbeknown to me after we, you know, way down the track her and I had had this conversation she'd said to me later we really didn't you know like I went outside and I she said I went outside and I, and I spoke to you know my friends that were outside and they're like they're talking about about taking her leg off and they were like no 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 no, it's her arm and then my ex-husband who was there with my children said actually no they're really not happy with her leg mm. and so you know things sort of start to unfold and you become more aware of where you are and and what's going on. And I do have to say one of the things that I really appreciated in hindsight was the frankness of the doctors. They were so frank. They, they didn't dress it up. They didn't make it prettier than what it actually was. And they came in and they basically said to me, you know, like the standard, do you know where you are? Do you know your name? Do you know what the date is? Do you know what happened? So I said all those questions and I said, I, I don't remember what happened, but I want to say something about a white car. I don't know the significance of that, but I just want to say a white car. Like yeah. does, and apparently I had, so I had had a head on with a white car. So um, it later came out, I, I, I was able to get pictures of the car from, there was a, there was an article in the paper that had, that had photographed the car. And so the car, I've hit the car dead centre, the, the grill, the bonnet, the windscreen and the, and the roof is, is all dead centre. So it's a, it's a clear head on. Um, no, nobody else was injured. Um, they were tourists from down the South Island, I believe, or had just come from touring the South Island. Um, and I don't know anything about the people in the car, but I do know that nobody else was, was injured, which was my next my next concern was, have I hurt anybody? Is anybody else hurt? I wasn't worried about myself. It was, is anybody else, am I, am I going to be responsible for breaking a family? Am I, you know, that was the next thing running through my mind. And, and I was 
very quickly told, no, 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 no. So anyway, the surgeon sort of, once we got past the white car sort of stuff, said to me, so you're actually a bloody mess, Rach. There's no other way to say this. Um, we don't know how you've survived this. You should not have survived this accident with the injuries that you have, however you have, and we need to find a way to put you back together. So um, they said to me, uh, we've never seen injuries like yours ever before. Your, your arm is so badly broken, we are going to have to graft bone from somewhere. We don't know where, but we're going to have to graft bone from somewhere to, to, to uh, realign your, your radius and your ulna and your arm. We've, we've stabilised that for the moment, so I had an external fix that came up quite high, and that was all bandaged up. Um, as for your leg, he said, uh, you've shattered 10 centimetres of your femur bone. Now, the femur bone is the largest bone in the body, and it's the most painful bone in the body to break. I hadn't just broken it or fractured it or cracked it. Just above my knee joint was like a 10-centimetre confetti party. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they said to me, uh, we stopped counting after 300 fractures in your leg. <gasps> so. Wow. <laughs> they so yeah um so so the concern was and this was sort of within the first you know 24 so the first 12 hours i had i had made it through and i had been told it was very very critical timing because not only um did i have these breaks i i had um my bone from my leg my femur bone had come into contact with the ash belt so the concern then was if the if the bone got an infection in it it was going to have to come off so there were all these there was a handful of obstacles that we had to overcome in order to, to, to know what the next step was going to be. And so that meant no infection could get into the bone. So I was in isolation. No one was allowed to touch me. Anybody that came in had to sterilise and it was only one person at a time and all that kind of stuff. And then the next, the next concern was blood flow in the leg. And what was that going to look like? And so the doctors were then coming in every morning and they'd be checking my leg and they, they would run their hand down the length of my leg and say, you know, can you feel this? And I'd be like, yeah, 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 I can feel it. And they're like, close your eyes, Rachel. <laughs> so I closed my eyes because I think they thought they could, they already knew my element of determination yeah. that they were like, she could just be saying she can feel her leg when she actually can't. So I had to close my eyes and I'd pinprick my toes and the, uh, the sole of my feet and, and, and down the sides and what have you. And they would, just, they would just shake their head and look at me like, I don't know how this is happening. Like, you just shouldn't, you shouldn't be feeling this. It's like, well, I am and we're going to find a way to fix this. So I ended up being in, in hospital for about six weeks. Yeah. Um, and... They were tough. They were tough days because there was a lot of poking, constant poking and prodding and checking and testing and blood flow, uh, blood checks because I had lo also lost a lot of blood that I was having plasma transfer, tra transplant, trans, 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 yeah, blood transfusion <laughs> and and plasma transfusion. So there was a lot go there was a lot going on and there was a lot of X-rays and a lot of MRIs and things. Um. And there was one, so, and there was a lot of stabilizing surgeries to make sure that everything, everything was, you know, like 
we're just going to have to put her in a holding pattern for now. So what they ended up doing was they they took me into theatre, cleared out all the all the damaged bone, and they put in what's called a bone cement, which is almost like a polyfiller, if you like, to hold that 10 centimetre gap. Um, and the surgeons would just keep coming in and just that they would just shake their heads and and, they, and and I guess the the turning point for me was they came in and they said to me and I I have to say I had the best surgeons honestly the best surgeons in the world this accident was on a Sunday a Sunday afternoon 1 30 on a Sunday afternoon I could have very easily had had two extremely fatigued surgeons that could not be bothered was too hard we don't know what to do scenario that we were in yeah. that could have just said whip it off you know it's such a mess whip it off but they didn't and they came in and when they told me that they were doing going to do the bone cement surgery it was just a hold, just to hold that space they said to me look Rach if you'd have been overweight and you had have been and or you had have been a smoker that leg would be off there's no two ways about it this would not be a discussion when we went in and we saw the quality of your muscle we were like we have, this woman is obviously an active woman we have to fix he said the quality of your muscle was like this is what he said word for word the quality of your muscle was like a good steak we wanted to carve it and put it on a barbecue it was such good quality <laughs> you know I'll take that as a compliment and he said we just don't know how we're going to fix this we've never seen a break like this we could replicate this entire accident and we would never even have the same break that we've got, that we're facing mm. and I said to him well I don't know how you're going to fix it either but what I can tell you is that we will be fixing this leg and I will be walking out of this place on my own two feet by the end of this year and he's like, oh, it's really good, Rach. It's really good. It's a really good, it's a really good frame of mind to have. And I was like, it's not a frame of mind to have. It's just how it's going to be. It's yeah. just what's going to happen. And him, him and the other surgeon walked out of there. And it wasn't until much later down the track after I'd had the, 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 the corrective surgery, which I'll talk about, that they said to me, um, Rach, do you remember that day we came in? And I said, yes, I do. And he said, uh, we thought you were mad. We literally walked out, we walked out of the room and we're, you know, like, oh, it's really good, Rachel, it's really good. We walked out and as soon as we were out of sight, we were like, she's mad. Like, it's just, it's not going to happen. So anyway, um, I, yeah, like I say, I was in hospital for six weeks and um, I was finally allowed to go home at the end of April. And I, after a, a, an additional week, I was hoping to go home the week prior to that, but it was a public holiday. I think it was Easter or Anzac or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I was going home into a public holiday, which meant that I wouldn't have had a lot of support at home. Like I, I didn't have the ACC to come to the house and find out what kind of equipment I was going to need to get around the house because I was non-weight bearing, which meant I couldn't walk. Um, and because I, I had damaged my right leg and my left arm, I couldn't use crutches either so I had to have a gutter frame to scoot around on but I also had two children to go home to that still needed to get to school and have dinners cooked and lunches made and activities catered to what have you so going home had to be planned and prepared and and thought about rather than just a that was it really wasn't kind of a winging kind of moment mm. 
Um, and so I wasn't quite ready to go home and I was, I was really heartbroken because I had set myself up to the fact that I was going home and I was forced to stay another week, which I was very, very upset about. I sort of had a bit of a tenty in the hospital about it. But it was, it actually, hindsight is always a wonderful thing. It actually turned out to be probably the best week because I was that much more physically able to do more for myself. Um, I was also able to start identifying the medication that I was taking because I was on so much medication that I didn't know whether it was Arthur or Martha half the time. I'd be having a conversation with you and I'd just fall asleep because I was just constantly fatigued. So there was this, you know, trying to sort of give you a snapshot of a big picture. There's so many arms of the picture that you can't really miss anything, but you, you know, yeah. you don't want to miss anything out, but there, there's so much to miss out. Um, the time in hospital I found really difficult. It was the longest I'd been away from my children. And I really missed them dreadfully. And I felt so lonely and isolated in hospital and particularly through the night because, you know, the drugs that you're on, you'd sleep all day and then you'd be awake all night or you would sleep all day or you'd wake up at, you know, three o'clock in the morning and your brain's just going 90 to the dozen and, or you'd wake up and you'd start having, I think I, I wasn't too bad really on the whole, but there were, there were a couple of times where I woke up in quite a panic thinking, fuck, this is actually going to be really bad. Like if this doesn't, go well this is going to be really fucking bad like mm -hmm. right you need to be you know you actually really need to think about if this doesn't work out what that's going to look like for you and the thought of losing my leg terrified me like I had convinced myself that if they're going to take my leg off I'm going to take myself out because I'm just not going to ride this planet without a leg mm. and it seems like a really extreme thought process but for me it was like I just I don't think I can I don't think I can make this I don't think I can do life with a prosthetic leg I just I just can't mm. um so yeah there were there was a, there were a few meltdown moments but there was also phenomenal amount of support that I never even knew that I had and uh so I was in hospital I think day two or three and this woman appeared I don't know didn't know her from a bar of soap and because you see the motorcycle community is 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 a very big supportive community and so there are groups and Facebook groups that I didn't even know existed that were all talking about my accident and somebody had, oh you know, there's a bike down on the hill this weekend does anybody know who it was and just by sheer coincidence there was a, a friend of mine who happened to be in this group who had said, oh, yes, it's a friend of mine, Rach. So anyway, this woman came in and found me, and um, she turned out to be a, a huge support for me because she had had an accident virtually identical to mine about a year prior to me. So she was really good. She sort of gave me, you'll talk about your life before and you'll talk about it after. I was like, no, I won't. Next minute, talking about my life before. And about <laughs> On a podcast, yeah. 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 <laughs> Um, but also, but also, the Wellington Riders had done a whip round. I didn't, I didn't know anybody in the Wellington Riders motorcycle group, and they had done a whip around, 
And um, one of the guys from the group had come in looking for me and introduced himself to me. And he said, oh, look, I just wanted to let you know that there's a group of us out here. We're all aware of your accident. We just wanted to offer you our support. If you need anything, if you need new motorcycle gear, we're here to help you. If you need your bike rebuilt, we're here to help you. If you need anybody to run you around, we're here to help you. And gave me a card with $100. Hmm. I was just like... Well, that was just so cool. It was just it just opened up this whole new network of of friends for me, um, and so yeah, it, it, it was sort of really because it made me be still for a long period of time as well. It sort of made it put me into a position where I started to really thinking and th start thinking about where I was in life and where was I going and what had I actually accomplished in life and what was my life going to look like moving forward and um, what were the obstacles I was going to be facing and, and all of that sort of stuff. And so my brother had suggested to me that I share what I was going through on Facebook. And I was like, oh. <laughs> but that also turned out to be a really good support network for me as well, because it meant that I didn't have to have the same conversation 20 million times. It just meant that I could do one post and everybody could see the progression of where I was at. Now, one thing that I, that I would really like to highlight when you have an accident like this, and anybody that's been in a situation like this will totally understand what I'm saying, is that I have learned that it's all the little steps that you make in life that make the big one happen, right? Mm. But you don't, you forget to appreciate the little steps along the way. Yeah. You forget them because you're so busy looking forward at the next challenge or the next obstacle mm. that you forget to look forward, uh, back, sorry, to see how far you've actually come. And when you're living with yourself every day and those are your everyday little tasks, obstacles, challenges, you very easily forget. And so when you're recording it, one, it's great for your memory to look back on and go, oh my God, look how far I have actually come. Two, it's really great because people are watching you and they might not see you for a week or two weeks or a month or six months and they go, oh my God, look how far you've come. This is incredible. And you're like, ah, oh, man, it's my everyday, you know? And so you sort of forget to put those things into a perspective. And it's not until you're doing something really little that you and I will take for granted every single day but you find yourself doing that you couldn't do before, you forgot, and all of a sudden I'm doing it. And one of those moments for me was kneeling. Wow, yeah. Just, kneel, just kneeling, right? So I was kneeling at the side of my bed wrapping up a Christmas present, and I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, look, I'm kneeling, I'm kneeling. <laughs> um, after, after, and this, that, would have, that particular moment would have been... Um, two years after the accident. Yeah. So, yeah, I kind of feel like I've, I've jumped forward a little bit. But so if I rewind back just a little bit to the surgery, just so you know what happened with the surgery. So what they ended up doing was, um, so my surgeons, I was very, very lucky. My surgeons traveled all around the world and they took my medical files with them and had conferences all around the world, particularly Scandinavia. Scandina Scandinavia? That's the one thing. Got you. it. I got your back. <laughs> and uh, I, I had Scandinavia and Switzerland running through my head at the same time. Um, those two countries, because they have the highest, I think it's Switzerland, has the highest bone breakages per population 
per capita in the world. Why is that? Because they're skiers. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So they had gone around the world and and had um, had had consults with surgeons around the world, and all around the world they didn't know, they couldn't think what what they were going to do, and so the surgeons came back, and and my surgeon, Dr. Devane, Peter Devane, who is just the loveliest man you will ever meet, kept coming back to me, and he would tap on my left leg. He'd always hold my left leg, yeah, and he looked at me and he said, Rach we may very well just have to go into this leg. We may very well just have to use this leg. And I was like, well, fuck you are. One fuck leg's bad enough, but two? Holy shit balls, no, no. And he shook his head and he's like, we could do a bone donor from Australia, but if we're gonna do a bone donor, we should probably look to, look to use your own bone work because of the blood because mm. you're not just taking a piece of bone and putting it into a gap you're taking a blood supply with that piece of bone yeah. in order for the bone to survive otherwise if you just take out a dead bone and put it in a space and it's got no blood supply it's going to die yeah so i was then um i had a consultation with dr sweetan um, there'll be a lot of people who will nod their head and go, yes, no, no of him, an incredible man. If you do not know him, I highly, highly encourage you to do some research on him. He is a phenomenal, phenomenal man. I went to have a consultation with him and I, I took a girlfriend with me and I took my sister with me. And again, Frank is an understatement. He was so blunt with his frankness that I couldn't speak. So he said to me, Rachel, I've read your medical file, and quite frankly, I don't know how you are still alive, but you are, and you've got some leg, you've, we've got, we need to fix your leg. So what we're going to do is we're going to take the tibia out of your left leg, we're going to snap it in half, and we're going to strut it into your right leg. And my jaw just hit the ground, I was like, and tears were falling out of my eyes like a cartoon character, you know, they went rolling down my cheeks, they were like, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I looked at it and I, I was just speechless. And he said to me, or not, they're your legs. You can do what you want with them. But if they were my legs and this is what I was challenged with, then this is how I would, this is what I would be doing. And so I looked at him and I just like, words just would not come out of my mouth. And so my sister, who's a nurse, was there with me and she was asking a load of questions and, you know, what's the time frame that we're looking at? What's the impact on the other leg? What's the, what's the risks to the other leg? Um, so I was facing drop foot. So if there was any nerve damage to the, to the left leg, which means that when, when you're walking, your gait isn't controlled. So you, as you walk, your, your leg would just drag and then you sort of drop it on the, mm. on the ground. So you don't have a gait as such. And I was just like, you know, I've always been a physical person. I've always, like, I, I walked everywhere. I was a walker um, mm. before I had this accident. I would walk 6 to 10K every day. Uh, and there's, I lived in, in Lower Hutt, and so there's a flight of stairs that I would go up these stairs every day as well. And so, you know, the thought of not being able to walk was just terrifying, it was absolutely terrifying. Mm. And so, you know, like, like, you find yourself in this vortex of, like, well, these are my these are my choices. There's not really a lot to choose. I just have to roll with the punches. And so, anyway, the surgery was booked, and I was 
wasn't too, I, I wasn't as nervous as I thought I was going to be. I was frightened, but I wasn't as nervous. It was a, it was a big surgery. It was a, a 12 hour surgery mm-hmm. uh, with a lot of surgeons, um, a lot of specialists, you know, there was a lot going on. Um, but the surgery was a fantastic success. Absolutely amazing success. Um, I've got some impressive scar work, which I'm, I struggled with for a long, a long, long time. I, I wouldn't wear shorts. I wouldn't wear dresses or skirts. I, you know, like I covered myself. I just was so, I just was so um, caught up in the, in the cosmetic side of it, of how it all looked. I, I wasn't looking past that into the, I should be grateful I've got two legs and, and you know, I'm still alive. I was yeah. stuck in. I was stuck in with how is this going to look? Um, so the surgery was done in July 2013, and I was walking by October 2013 by myself. So I was, yeah, I was pretty chuffed with that. I was very, very chuffed with that. Albeit that I was walking very slowly um, and for not long periods of time, I was, I was able to stand by myself. Um, get dressed by myself, go to the bathroom by myself, have a shower by myself. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. And I was back at work full time in February the following year. So my rehab was, yeah, very, my rehab for me was like, there's nothing else in my, you know, this is it. This is my life now. This is, this isn't just, um, what I have to do for a short period of time in order to be able to work again, this is a lifelong commitment. If I want my body to be able to take me through into my older years, this isn't something that I'm, I'm only going to be able to do until I can walk again. This is something that I will do for the rest of my life. And I will just get better and better and better as time goes by. And, and, and I have, like I, you know, like I was saying before I could walk six a day. Well, when I first started walking, it would be up and down my hallway. Yeah. And then it would be to my letterbox and back in the house. Uh, and then it would be around the block. And then it would be a block in a street. And it was just a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And there'd be some days, honestly, I kid you not, I would be sitting on the side of the footpath crying in pain because mm-hmm. the pain was just so intense. And I don't want to sound like I'm a martyr, like I'm, you know, no pain, no gain kind of thing or push on through the pain. It wasn't about that. It was learning what my limits were to how far I could push myself because what I had to think about was I can walk this far before I get into pain, but I've got to walk all that way back. So start listening to my pain levels. If I'm starting to feel it here, okay, then I stop here and then I start making my way back. So Mm. it was a, a, a whole different process of, of of how you think and and how you do things and and learning to do things differently like I still can't even today my right leg is not my takeoff leg yeah. if you know what I mean so I when I get out of my car I spin and stand up oh, spin I spin and stand up <laughs> <laughs> I can't sort of one foot out and up um if I'm down on the ground I can't push up on my on my right leg I have to use my left leg to get back up so these that came with you know other obstacles as you go on in life um my left leg became super super strong and my right leg became very very weak so it was then a a lot of work with muscle balancing and making sure that my body was straight because with that 
with that one year off of work and non-weight bearing, your center of gravity shifts mm. as well. So there's all these things that you just don't think about until you wouldn't think about until you're in that situation yourself. So I had a gutter frame that I would scoot around on. It was, we sort of nicknamed the mum's skateboard that I I'd, I'd was around the house on it. But my whole center of gravity, if I can show you, yeah. this is standing up straight, but mine was like this. Yeah. Because my, my left leg became my, that's what held me up. Yeah. So having to learn to shift back over and actually put weight evenly through your body mm. and even walking, because I now have a two centimetre, two cent, no, two inches leg length difference between my legs. So mm. I had to make sure that when I walked that I was walking very upright and very straight so that I didn't have a limp. But I, d I was determined mm. I wasn't going to have a limp. So now when I walk, if you didn't know, you wouldn't know. So all these things that you, you know, like yeah. you have to work on in order to, to get to the next, to the next progression. And so, yeah. so what was that moment like when you walked out of the hospital? Well, I didn't walk out of the hospital as such. Yeah. I, so I, you know, the first time I went home, I went home in a, in a wheelchair in an ambulance. Yeah. When I had the surgery, I went home in a wheelchair in an ambulance. It wasn't until, so the surgery was in July, I went back, I had to go back every month for a period of time. And then it was, I think it was October was, was the day that I walked into the hospital. Well, I, I, I went into the hospital without a wheelchair. Yeah. And I, so I had been at home and I had had, I had had um, what they call a community nurse come to the house to give you physiotherapy exercises to do and would and check, the, check the state of my leg and make sure that it wasn't infected and I was doing all the right things, da da da, da. Mm. My, I guess one of my saving graces was that I had trained years ago to be a personal trainer. So I also knew exercises that I could do myself. So my my community health worker would come to the house and give me exercises to do. And she'd leave and I'd be like, oh my God, that's the lamest things ever. I like, I can do more than that. I can do more than that. So I was constantly pushing myself um, to where I could feel comfortable. I didn't push my leg. Like I was, I, with my leg, when they said to me, no weight bearing through that leg, I, I stuck to that like glue because I just thought I can't, you know, if I put weight through it, it might shorten, it might move something mm. because I've got, I've got, um, I call it my pasta claw. Do you know those pasta, those pasta scoops that you, yes. they're like a soup ladle? Yes. That's essentially <laughs> what I have down the side of my leg. So three quarters of the length of my thigh is a metal plate. And then it sort of pasta claws into the side of my knee, if you like, to mm. stabilize all that bone work. And then there's another uh, plate in the lower part of my leg that's about 10 centimeters long. So I, I can't hinge my leg properly. It it hinges to about forty five degrees, not yeah, not not the full hinge. So um, you know, when I walk, I have to I have to be very very mindful, and I can't twist. I have to like turn my whole body. Mm. So so you know, I was very 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 mindful of my movement. Um, but the but the October visit to the hospital was it, it, I was just so. I left there on cloud nine because I, I went in there and I had, because I had ACC coming to my house as well to check on me to, to make sure I had the right equipment and push me to the next level. Um, when I went to the visit in, in, in the October, 
I had gone from my, it was really funny actually, my house looked like an ACC storage facility because I had a wheelchair and I had shower stools and I had gutter frames and I had crutches and I had all these things. But what was really funny is when I moved from the wheelchair to the gutter frame and then from the gutter frame to the, the crutches, my kids would do these little Facebook of, see you later wheelchair. Anyway, I go to the hospital, I'm digressing, I go to the hospital and I thought, I better take two crutches because they might tell me off if I'm only on one. And so I went in and went and saw my surgeon and sort of, you know, does the x-rays, has a look at my leg and does a series of tests of how high I can raise my leg and how I can bend it and what, it, what how I can stand on all that sort of stuff. And he's like, oh, you're doing phenomenally, phenomenally well, Rach. You know, like, why don't you just drop down to one crutch now? And I was like, um, well, actually, I had been on one crutch. And he's like really? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, come with me. So he made me walk up and down the corridor and by no stretch of the imagination, it still had a little bit of a, a limp going on, but I was walking by myself unaided. He's like, go for it, Rach, just go for it. Like, you know your limits, obviously. You do what you feel comfortable with, dump the crutches, just get rid of them. Yeah. And so, and I, I walked out of there, I left the crutches behind at the hospital. Yeah. It was, it was just awesome. It was such an awesome moment. Yes, I know. I feel like Rocky music would be playing in the background, you know? Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> do, do, like punch it, fist punching in the, oh, in the car park. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. It's pretty cool. What a story. Like, oh, it's so powerful. It's so, so powerful. I've just been um, taking notes. Like, the key things that really jump out, you know, that, just to actually reflect it back to you, just, I mean, I'm sure you've thought about it, but just how it actually feels to hear from the outside. But I love that the very first thing you talked about was your intuition the day of the accident, where it was like, you had that feeling that mm, something's going on, like, you know, being aware. And I love that because a hundred percent, I believe in the universe, like that it's yes. always communicating with us. And then from there though, just the, uh, the amazingness of your, decision like that you constantly just own stuff like this is not happening your mindset your resilience your um like that you really stepped into your power in a situation that would be so easy to be a complete victim right and it would be so understandable yeah. so understandable that you'd feel like that with those circumstances but that you're like nah and I wrote this down and I think this is what I'll call this podcast you're not taking my leg that's what I'll call it. Because I'm like, I can feel that. Like, no. Like, this is not up yeah. for grips. And I think one thing I'm not sure that got mentioned here was that the surgery that you had was the first time it's ever happened in human history, right? Yes, that's yeah. right, yeah. And yeah. so I think that's so important that people know that, that you're, it's like your decision. This is what's going to happen. I am walking out of here on my own two feet. You're not taking my leg. You will just have to figure it out. And, yeah. like, listening to just all of these things, it would be so easy to dismisses like oh what a coincidence and it's like even yeah. you know the way you speak about your doctors how frank they were and I sort of wonder yeah. was it their frankness that really gave you this like determination to be like because they were so black and white with you, you it kind of yeah. forced you to either like crumble or really rise up and it was like yeah. and you've got these doctors who were absolute experts and um all around the world and like just it's miracle. It's miraculous. Like just miracle yeah. after miracle. And the other thing that I thought was so awesome that you talked about was actually being present 
like for those wins like every win along the way and how important that is to and yeah. I, I know it's so cliche that whole the journey not the destination thing but yeah it's like it's so important for success and on any everything any capacity that yeah, but we don't right and I think it's so beautiful that you've reminded everyone that yeah. actually when you do something that you couldn't do before or when you find yourself making a new choice that you wouldn't have made before or responding differently or setting a boundary that you wouldn't have set before it's like it's so important to have that rocky fist pump moment yeah. every time eh? and yeah. and really celebrate it because that's what also gives you that power to keep going and yeah. that um Oh, just what an incredible, incredible story. Just thank you. Incredible. Well, I think too, I think too, I think too, like you, like, you know, it, I think it can, it can, situations can become very easy for people to become a victim. And I've, you know, like, I think we've all got a story to tell. And I think we've all got experiences to share. It's, it's you know, what is it that you want to take from those experiences and for me the biggest thing my biggest thing is that I want my children to look at me and go my mum is the strongest courageous person that I know and I want to be just like her when I grow up that's what I would really like like not give, giving up is just not an option but also um you know, when I talk about celebrating the wins along the way it's very easy to forget to do that because the fact that you're in, you're constantly in the moment, you know, you're always in a moment that you, you forget to look back. And so now I've kind of made it a motto that, and my mother actually did say, say this to me once in hospital, because I was, I, I had been, I'd been booked in for a surgery, some sort of procedure, and I had to take this disgusting, chalky, medicine-y thing. Um, and I wasn't allowed to eat or drink for a period of time and got all ready to go down. And, and then and the, the stuff that you take makes your body overheat. Like your, your whole body feels like it's just overheating. It's, it's an awful process. And I got really shitty because the surgery, the, this procedure got bumped. Something else, something else had come up more important, which that's fine. But mum said to me, it's all the little steps make the big one happen all these little things along the way that make the big one happen. And, you know, I think I try to apply that to everything that I do, you know. Today I'm going to walk 2Ks. Tomorrow it's going to be 2.1. Next week it's going to be 2.3, you know. It's all those little things. But also allow yourself the time to stop and, and have a little look back. Like one of the things that I am really grateful for is that I did put this stuff on Facebook, that I can go back. Like at the moment, I've turned into a bit of a yoga guru. So I'm, I do yoga every day now. Now, if you'd have said to me seven years ago that I was going to be doing headstands on my head in my living room and I was going to be sharing this with the world, I would have said, you'd make you dream. It's not going to happen. <laughs> um, you know, I just did not think for a minute that, that that's where I would be because I was so, you know, I was so stuck in that moment back then. Um, but now I look and I, see, and I see these things, like particularly sort of um, March, April, May, June, July is when I get all these Facebook reminders of where I was at. And just the other day, I had a Facebook reminder come up and it was the first time I walked on a treadmill after the accident oh, wow. and I had walked a full 15 minutes on the treadmill at 5.5k and at that particular moment that was a monumental step for me because I hadn't been able to walk that long like for me walking on a treadmill was easier than walking on the concrete because it was less jarring yeah. um 
But I remember when I saw that Facebook memory, I remember being in that moment and remembering thinking, oh my God, this is so amazing. But that was, you know, that's what 2014, 15 yeah. to where I am now, you know, like that was such a moment back then yeah. from where I was. Do you know what I mean? So allowing yourself the time to actually go, you know what? Yeah, that was a moment. That was good. Yeah. That was great. And now look, you know, like allow yourself that. Yeah. Yeah. So good. It's so good. Oh my gosh. What a story. I can't wait to hear how this inspires other people. I the other thing wait. that was so funny is, you know, we we're talking about the universe before about how it, how it, like for me, I feel like I, I have the universe. I've got like a tribe of angels up above looking after me because um, mm -hmm. I've had two big accidents two big accidents and uh, the, the first accident was was with my leg and um, when I had the accident on the Sunday afternoon there had just been a medical conference in Wellington yeah. and so the traffic it was 1 30 in the afternoon just about anybody in New Zealand will know you know I've had so many people go oh you're the one that was holding up all the traffic oh that was you that day <laughs> um, the first person that stopped was an anaesthetist mm -hmm. The second person that stopped was a registered nurse. Yeah. The third person that stopped was a volunteer firefighter. Uh -huh. So it was just like... <laughs> you can't make this stuff up, eh? The funniest no. thing is that I've got a pack of cards sitting here that say the universe has your back on them. Yes. And it's like 100%. Like, your story... Oh, totally. I mean, I, I, I actually stopped writing them down because just the, the amount of synchronicities. And I think it's so important to actually focus on that. You know, like, oh, the random person that came to the hospital who was in the biker gang, you know? And it's like, these things yeah. aren't just accidental. Like, they don't just happen, you know? They're, no. It's so awesome to be um, aware of them, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm much more aware of them now. And I like, I've always sort of, you know, like, I think when you're like at the moment, so I started writing a blog about this, but my brother, because after the second accident, my brother said to me, you know, you should really write a blog. So I started writing a blog and, and um, where am I going with this? I lost my train of thought. I, I try really hard to listen to the universe now like I always as I was when I was younger you know how people say you trust your gut instinct trust your gut instinct it's mm -hmm. always right and and when I was younger I never did yeah. I always used to like I'd get a feeling I'd, and I'd ah, you know and I'd, and I'd wash it away and I've since learned that that is my instinct trust mm -hmm. your gut that is your instinct and I yeah I, I was going to write a chapter about um, in my blog about what I would write to my 20 year old self yeah, is where I was going with this because I am back riding motorcycles. I have my own bike and I've, I've had a series of, of, of great events since this first accident in 2013 to where I'm at now. But every time I go out on my bike, I rub my tank hmm. and I grab my throttle handle and I talk to my bike and I say, together we come home safe. Every time, every oh, I got time we go out Oh, I got goosebumps all about my back then. Together we come home safe. That is so amazing. Oh my gosh. Okay, you. There is so much more to talk about. Um, we've already talked for like almost an hour. So I'm like, okay, let's wrap this up. What I want to do though is where can people go to follow you? Uh, so I am on Instagram. Woohoo! Um, <laughs> And I am on Facebook. Uh, so my Instagram is Rach underscore McMahon underscore the Kiwi Girl. Yep. 
And um, on Facebook, I'm just Rachel McMahon. So, and uh, through both those medias, you will also find a link to my blog if you wanted to read my blog. Perfect. Okay, cool. I'll make sure I tag all of that stuff as well in the description so people can go and Thank find you. you and support you. But my brain, my brain is all like buzzing. I'm all like, oh, what an incredible story, Rach. Thank you so much for sharing it. Thank you. I guess, yeah, you don't, we're, you don't, like I keep talking before about being in the moment. For me, I don't, I love seeing what people get out of my story. For me, it's just my every day. It's like it's, it's shit that happened to me and I've had to get through it and move on and, and change and adapt my life. But when I share my story and I see how people are lit up by it or motivated by it, it makes me just want to share it more because I just, I just want people to know that if, if you have these obstacles and whatever they may be for you, there's always a way through them or a way around them or a way over them or a way under them. There's always a way, you know, you, you don't have to let that, whatever that obstacle is, be your roadblock to stop you from heading, moving forward. You know, sometimes you have to go sideways to go forwards again. Sometimes you have to go backwards to go forwards again. Yeah. But you can, you don't have to stay stuck in that moment. And I guess that's, you know, part of the reason why I wanted to write the blog was that I want people to be able to, you know, had two motorcycle accidents. She's lost her life twice and she's still on a bike. Some people are going to say she's fucking mad. Like, what are you thinking? <laughs> I don't care. Like, if that's, if that's your opinion, then that's your opinion. For me, being on my bike clears my head. All my worries go away. Um, it's a peaceful place to be. It's something that my husband and I do together that we absolutely love. We love riding together on our own bikes. We love riding together two up on a bike. So, you know, that's that's my that's my happy place. That's where I that's where I feel like I am me. Yeah, I love it. There's the perfect perfect place to end this. Thank you so much for sharing this. So so amazing. You're so incredible. Welcome. What an incredible story and incredible human you are. Um, and I feel like we're probably gonna have to have you come back for part two now. Because like right at the end, we're like, oh by the way, there was another accident. <laughs> like stay tuned, friends. I think we'll uh we'll twist Rachel's arm and she can come back and tell the next part of that story because it's absolutely mind blowing. So incredible. Love to. Yeah. Love to. Awesome. All right, yeah. Well, have an awesome rest of your week. Thank you so so much. And you too. Love from me to you. Thank you, everybody. Right back Bye. at you. Bye. <laughs>